FBI has three million of you innocent citizens under surveillance for no reason. Their tyrannical rape of our private data ends now. FBI, be warned. Your access to our lives is officially denied. Pursue us at your own peril. We do not compromise. We will not back down. We will destroy you. We are that society. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. I'm here with Henry to talk about episode eight of season two of Mr. Robot, sort of called Successor. This is all about the story of F Society and how it begins to fracture and a lot of stuff about Darlene tonight, Henry. What did you think of this episode? Yeah, I think uh, Darlene's character is going to move more into the foreground in terms of story. And I think she's also going to become a leverage point against Elliot. So I, I see this as kind of setting that up. And I also started to wonder, well, if something did indeed happen to Tyrell, which I know, I hope he's still alive, maybe Darlene had a hand in it. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be alluded to, right, where they go to the, the place where they're, gonna, they're cremating the body, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, like after the last one, my dogs got loose. Um, what was up with that? And given Elliot's love for dogs uh, that he's exhibited before, you can see Elliot maybe uh, letting the dogs go. Yeah, well, that was in particular reference to when they used that space, the incinerator, to burn all the evidence when they did the 5-9 hack. And so that's where they went to burn hard drives and stuff like that. And that's when they let the animals go. Oh, okay. All right, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, and the only reason I remember that is because they played a song, People Who Died, by the, it's like an punk, old punk rock song, and I was surprised they used that for the soundtrack. So, da, All da, right. da. Good call. Good catch. <laughs> so then maybe uh, Terrell wasn't cremated then, although I still think it's a possibility that that's uh, how he might have gotten suppose i think i'm just in denial henry i want tyrell to be around so uh, but you're absolutely correct i mean if it's funny when they were talking about how to dispose of susan jacobs not to jump too far ahead they made a reference to fargo because cisco said i'm not going to talk about wood chippers or acid which was a breaking bad reference so i thought that was funny (laughs) yeah and uh i remember that scene from fargo very well yeah, and so your incinerator reference might be the iconic way to get rid of people like in those two movies. So did you like this episode? Did you like Successor? Um, I saw I didn't uh, feel like it was as impactful as the episode prior, um, but I see it as kind of setting up the next couple episodes to close the season. Um, so it's a bit of a transition episode in terms of narrative setup. Yeah, I can't believe we're almost through this entire season. And I know there is a really solid, hardcore group of fans of the show. And I have to admit, I'm one of them. And then some people are saying, oh, this is Mr. Robot's sophomore slump. But I don't know. I'm still, I'm still enjoying the story a lot. If, if you want to give like a rock or music uh, analogy, it's kind of like how sometimes after our first big album, the second album is a little bit more, I guess, self-indulgent. Um, it demands more maybe from the audience. 
maybe this season is a little bit like that in terms of, uh, yeah, television. Totally. I, I can see that too. And then in the first scene, we opened at Ron's Coffee with some really cute, endearing autumn foliage decorations. And I guess this is the first time that Mobley and Trenton encountered each other. So the story really had a lot to do with the two of them. Mobley being an Android guy, of course. Yeah, I, I love how it's episode, it's season two, you know, um, and we're finally just getting some backstory on, on these two characters who are part of the core of F society. It's kind of funny. Yeah, just and in a very Game of Thrones-like fashion, the fact that we're getting to know them, I mean, it pretty much tips us off that something's going to happen to one of them at least. Yeah, and, and that's good that you called it, like the Game of Thrones uh, technique where it's like, oh, here's a little bit more about these characters so that you care about them so you'll be sad when they die. <laughs> and in this scene, basically we see Trenton pulling a fast one on Mobley, hacking him with the malicious browser benchmark trick. He was duped by Trenton and because he just assumed because she used iPhone, maybe she wasn't as savvy as he is. iPhone or maybe the headscarf, the gender, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you never know why people underestimate another person. True. And Darlene comes marching into Mobley's like, oh, so we're all here to meet Elliot, we thought. Did you think it was significant that... Darlene is reading a letter from Elliot, and she's there instead of him. What's that about? Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. It's becoming clear that Darlene is, uh, in a lot of ways, the driving force behind this um, pack of Evil Corp and uh, the actual tactics and mechanics. Like in season one, because it's told through Elliot's eyes for the most part, we only get a sense a tangential sense of Darlene's involvement and her importance. But I think in this uh, season, we really see how important Darlene is. Yeah, she's really stepped up in a lot of ways as the de facto leader. And I have to admit, when I saw her show up in this initial scene, I was like, well, does Elliot even really exist on this plane? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's fair to question whether anyone really exists that we see on the screen. Absolutely. And we do learn that the big thing that Darlene and the rest of F Society figured out is that the Berenstain Bears project, which is a funny reference to that, that those books, that there's a big FBI phone call to discuss this exact situation, the 5-9 hack and Darlene and everyone. So they hear some pretty interesting stuff about wiretapping and surveillance. Yeah. And it kind of, uh, again, raises this question of well, when you discover something like this, is it fair game to disclose that the government is breaching the public's trust or overstepping the kind of at least tacit agreement between themselves and the public? Yes, and in the F Society sort of spot that Darlene and Trenton recorded together, Darlene wearing the mask names 23 companies, real-world companies, Google, AT&T, Apple, Verizon, Facebook, and it's really touching, as you well know, on real-world subjects about these tech companies being pressured by the government and the NSA to give backdoor access to these platforms. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, I think about the fact that you know, 15, 20 years ago, people used to think the internet was unregulable, right? I think it was the 25th anniversary recently of the 
first web page. And in that time, it's become clear that the internet is in fact regulable very much so. And it can actually uh, swing the other way in terms of being something that the governments use to control people. They do mention the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the right to privacy being one of those rights. And that is a real, like a policy or a sort of a manifesto. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the, the rights as well is the right to be forgotten. I think that's been recognized in Europe and uh, been something that people have used against Google to wipe search histories. But you think about that in the context of the hack of Evil Corp and the right to be forgotten or the erasure of debt. Yes, Google was involved in a pretty big lawsuit in the EU a couple of years ago about giving people the right to be forgotten, you know, the ability to have that trail back to your Angel Fire account, your website from way back when, delete it and have all of that cash eliminated. And another thing that's been in the news, as I know you have been keeping up with, is not only are these companies either establishing backdoors for surveillance or being pressured to establish those backdoors, but when surveillance agencies like the FBI or the NSA discover exploits, they're not reporting that back to the, the tech makers to close those exploits, and that's actually making our world less secure. Yeah, we recently had in the news uh, the the hacker group that released the NSA uh, tools that it hacked from the NSA, and the NSA taking taking advantage of unpublished exploits that it had found to penetrate uh, some of the world's secure systems um, and uh, network equipment. Uh, so you have a real-world example of... of the government having hacked its citizens and then having been hacked itself by a hacker collective. We get to see a lot of really cool stuff here. We get to see Trenton uploading the video that she and Darlene create up to Vimeo, but through a private encrypted method. And then they also send the video along to WikiLeaks. I've been following some of the recent news around WikiLeaks, and even the most mundane emails really do give insights into inner workings. Yeah, and it can also be uh, a treasure trove in terms of ways to social hack, right? I think Mr. Robot shows that in a lot of cases, it's not about someone doing some sophisticated lines of code, but it's just doing social engineering. And we see eCoin stepping more and more into the forefront uh, as uh, something that I think is being set up as a, a future plot device. I completely think eCoin is is at the heart of what so much is going on. I mean, it just seems like it's a no-brainer to, to, it's such a coup to introduce eCoin and replace all of the other currencies. So, so in terms of uh, the suspicions that people at F Society start to have about the FBI being onto them and detention causes within the group, I saw that as kind of a setup as well, that something is going to happen to the to the group. Yeah, and and Mobley's been getting honestly a sense that something was going to go haywire. I mean, we saw that in the previous episode, and he he made the classic mistake of waiting just a, a hair too long. If he'd only, when he first had that that sense of danger, had done something, he would have at least had some time of more of freedom. He could have pulled a whitey bulger, but instead, you know, in terms of being on the run, 
but he just waited a little too long and uh so stressful. He got caught up on Darlene's web because it does it does seem like Darlene set things up so that Susan Jacobs would eventually be uh in harm's way, right? It's true. I didn't think of that until you mentioned it just now, but it it makes a whole lot of sense. Why, of all the places in the whole New York area, would she choose Susan Jacobs' home? Even if she wanted a connected home, there are other connected homes to choose among. Yeah, I, I think it was that one comment she said to her when she went down there with the taser, and she was like, yeah, you know, the peop- they think that, you know, this was an accident, or you know, something to the effect of, like, they think it's an accident that you came home, but... I just knew, I knew it was going to eventually happen. Something like that. Um, it made me think that she had sort of arranged it so that it was going to be inevitable. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it seemed like she wasn't fully honest with herself on that front, maybe. But it seems like all roads were heading towards Susan Jacobs' ultimate demise and, and, you know, we get to see Angela singing the Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. And it turns out her, her side squeeze is an FBI plant. Yeah. Um, and that whole scene at the bar with Angela, it's, you know, I, I said in the last podcast that I think of Angela as Napoleon Dynamite, and it makes her character a lot more understandable for me. And it really helped within this episode if I looked at her as kind of like a Napoleon Dynamite character. That, that's pretty funny. I, I do think that it's interesting that the kinds of negativity that Angela gets, she gets two consistent messages. Number one, you're not that special. I mean, I mean this is the primary message she gets. You know, you're not that good. You're not that special. And, and number two, she seems to be you know, sexualized in a way that's like totally unfair and inappropriate for her. Like, and this guy, her father's so-called friend could have said anything to her about how much she sucked, but he had to like sexualize it. And, and you know what I mean? It was just, I, I can see why she's turning into the hard person she is because it's not fair for her to be always characterized like that. Yeah. And it's, again, like there's a certain type of, quote-unquote loser who just kind of attends to attract this sort of scorn and you know you ever see that movie <laughs> welcome welcome to the dollhouse mm-hmm. um and remember like there was this girl that a female character wiener dog and just how people were just kind of mean to wiener dog it's kind of like angela's character people are just kind of mean but like in turn wiener dog is mean back like and so is angela yeah, and that's a really good point. And even though her even though her desires go way beyond that, as she said, you know, you know, because she goes so deep, especially when she's really drunk at a karaoke bar, it's true. She's the dog that got smacked around so much that she's just gonna bite back, like you're saying. And it makes me feel really bad for her. And I think I think a lot of uh women uh, you know, who are, you know, who I think a lot of women endure that kind of objectification, not to be too heavy about it, but, you know, in the workplace she gets it. And I maybe Price has a, a an agenda behind that, but just seems like I feel, I'm starting to feel sorry for Angela again, I guess. Woo, who do? 
And it occurs to me that in this episode, we get an answer for why Angela's doing what she's doing. When she's able to tell the guy, hey, I make six figures and I work for the biggest company in history. Like, fuck off, right? Like, you take those mean comments and you, like, you know, <laughs> you know, take a hike, right? Like, that's why she's maybe doing what she's doing at Evil Corp, because she's able to have that sense of value to then strike back. I mean, in some ways, it's better than being stomped all over like she has been. I mean, I can see why that's somewhat preferable, I guess. Dominique, on the other hand, Dom, she does not have any problem maintaining her own. Even though she's completely quirky, she's really good at grilling Mobley. She dances that fine line. You know who she reminds me of? I know we talked about... Some people she reminded you of last week. Dom reminds me of this. There was this old TV detective character named Columbo, played by Peter Falk. Yeah, she does. She's like a female Columbo. Like, you know, the character from, oh my gosh, it's such an old series, but he was a TV detective and he was kind of befuddled and he, I think he had, smoked a cigar or something and he was really colloquial but he was always in there with the zingers and he had an, a sharp eye and a sharp sense and and there's and dom actually does this thing that uh, a sheriff investigator once called doing the colombo where you kind of walk away and then you kind of turn back and <laughs> make it seem like you're just kind of pulling this last minute question right and the sheriff, the uh, investigator who told us this, we were in a class at UCLA. He was like the lead homicide detective for Los Angeles County for like 20 years. Had done like all the major uh, serial killer cases, including like Hillside Strangler and Richard Ramirez Night Stalker. So when he says this, like I can kind of picture him doing it to these like, you know, serial killers, like these human monsters, right? Uh, where he like does the Columbo. Uh, it just makes me laugh that it's actually a thing where art influences life. You have this very serious real-world detective taking inspiration from a TV character. Oh, that's a pretty awesome story. That That's really cool. And it's true. I mean, I didn't realize that people called it a Columbo, but that is what you do. It's It adds such drama. And I'm sure it's it, it makes you a little bit intimidating, you know, because one of the... Um, laws of power and the 48 laws of power is uh is what they call a reversal well i mean they have a law which says you know do this but every now and then do the opposite because you really want to throw your enemy off and that's kind of what that is a little bit because it seems like they're just going about their business but then they turn around and and they uh, come in for the zinger and it catches people off guard anyway uh, pretty cool. Um, so Susan Jacobs, I really did not expect Darlene to kill her. I mean, I knew they had to do something with her, but I thought they were going to bribe her with some dirt they found. Were you thinking Darlene was going to kill the Susan Jacobs person? Yeah, I did. I could not imagine a piece of information that would be that they could blackmail her with that would guarantee that she would not talk. There's just like what F society represents and what they've done to me just tips the scale too far in the other direction. Man, I have to give Darlene credit for long-term planning that 
she knew Susan was going to come home. She would not have forgotten to follow the GPS. She just said that. And in some ways, she's the one who also inspired Elliot, right? Because Darlene was the one who was like anti-Evil Corp and saying this stuff to Elliot. And then Elliot kind of put on the mask and literally became Mr. Robot. That's true because, because Angela, when she was arguing with Darlene, said he was doing fine till you came back to town. Yeah. So more and more, it seems like Darlene, you know, may have manipulated uh, everyone to put this plot into action. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll never get to see Susan interacting with Angela like we thought. And, you know, Darlene tried to cover her tracks a little bit where she wrote to E Corp acting as Susan saying, Hey, I'm going to be out for a few few days, don't worry about me, which is totally silly, but doesn't prevent her from being paranoid. Cisco's like, who am I dating? He's just sort of freaked out by her. And I think he kind of get a, he got a, a sense of how uh, dedicated Darlene was to the mission in terms of what she's willing to do. I mean, the body count's starting to get a little high around Darlene. Yeah, and I thought it was incredibly humorous in, ter- in terms of it being a bit, you know, not, you know, bright humor to that they were transporting Susan in on the subway in a, in a suitcase. That is so typical New York. I'm sure that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you hear every once in a while about, like, body parts being found in luggage or bags that are abandoned. I'm sure it was like someone carrying it who just decided to leave it for whatever reason. It's true. It's true. People do the strangest things in the New York subway. I used to have a friend who would, who would shave on the subway with, with his electric razor, and I was humiliated. <laughs> okay, so what's, what's dirtier to lick? The bottom of the floor on the subway in New York or the floor bottom of the floor in an airport bathroom. Oh, that is so disgusting. <laughs> I think the subway. What about you? Yeah, I think the subway would be dirtier. Right, yeah. I think, I think so. Because the, the air, airport bathroom at least gets washed at least once a day, if not twice. You know? Like, the longest it's probably been between a washing and if it's a major, like, city airport in a developed country is about 12 hours. Whereas, like, the New York City subway floor, ooh, that's, that could be decades there. Oh, it's some kind of nasty. Have you ever been on an international flight where people go in and out of the bathrooms in their socks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't understand that. Like, that's just, I mean... I've seen some sort of like slippers, like I could do slippers on an international flight. I've seen some odd things in international flight. I was once on an Airbus that had a second level, like a second level uh, below economy cabin where you could, uh, there was bathrooms and people kind of stand around. And there were people lying down in that area. Like it was, people do weird things when there's space in the airplane. People do really weird things in airplanes. It's true on both international. One time I sat next to a guy who he was all dressed up in a 
pretty fancy suit, but the minute he sat down next to me, he proceeded to use his his finger, he, he proceeded to like lick his finger, and basically, he was like a little kitty cat in some ways, and he used that to clean his whole laptop screen, his laptop keyboard, and then he proceeded to take out an apple, and he cleaned his whole apple using the licking the finger, oh, wiping the it down. Oh, yeah. the apple. Oh, that just takes it to another level. Like, <laughs> the licking and the computer, I'm like, that's weird, but okay, what? But then when you said apple, I'm just like, oh, wow, okay. And he didn't but, just lick a few spots. He covered the entire surface area of everything. Yeah, you know, that's probably a behavior that he's had since he was very young. Like, that to me sounds like something that he's been using spit and his own saliva as a useful handy tool, I think, for a very long time. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, he was intense. But anyway, so lots of paranoia. Trenton actually has to leave home, which I thought was really sad. She she was told, though, by Mobley, you shouldn't have been doing this if you had so much to lose. Yeah, and... Pretty low marks for me in terms of these, like, world-class hackers and their preparedness to evacuate. Like, really? Like, you're packing? <laughs> I mean, you would think that they would have a go-bag, right? Given what they've been involved with and how precarious their lives in, they should have a go-bag that just allows them to grab a bag and disappear. They should not even need to go home. They should have things stashed throughout the city. Like, I think that in that part... Um, in that respect, the the accuracy falls a little low. Yeah, that's what Mike from Breaking Bad did. He had his stash in different places if he needed to make a clean break. And you're right, they should have totally done that. And the fact that Mobley, Mobley, his hacker name is his DJ name, I'm like, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's. I don't know if it's supposed to communicate something in terms of about characters or if it's just lazy writing. Yeah, I, I thought it, I went back and forth wondering that myself too, because I was thinking, in some ways, it's the perfect vanity of, you know, you're so proud of your you, tag name or your DJ name that, of course, you're going to use it as your, uh, you know, okay pr- Cupid profile name or your hacker name. And I mean, it is really sloppy and vain. And you would imagine that Elliot would have hacked all of the people he's working with because that's just his nature. And if he had discovered anything really egregious, he would inform his, uh, you know, his fellow members of F society, what they need to do to make themselves harder to find. Yeah, no kidding. And it really made it easy for Dom, relatively easy to figure out who Mobley was, but she's really on the trail of Tyrell, she, not not Tyrell's DJ. So at least Mobley knew he could just ask for a lawyer, though. So Tyrell is kind of being set up to be this mythical perpetrator of the deed whose body may never be found, and so the legend can grow. Yeah, yeah, and and just quickly, there were two messaging apps that were referenced. First, there was the eCorp messaging app, which made me think of WhatsApp, and then, uh, or WeChat, and then there is the private one that Mobley used to get in touch with Trenton called WickerMe, and that is a real app that you can download that is a more private way to send messages. I might start using that myself. Really? hmm yeah. Why? What's the motivation? 
Well, I do have a, a lot of friends, and I know you're more involved in understanding, you know, all this stuff, but who are starting to adopt more secure forms of messaging. And I know I should just do that as a matter of practice, too. I mean, I, I've, I've, we've all been hacked before, and the things really are leaky, and our messages are being read, and I don't have anything to hide, but just because I don't have anything to hide doesn't mean I shouldn't protect my privacy. Yeah, and it becomes harder and harder to really figure out what you should be doing to really be uh, secure and have privacy. You know, I think that's something that people, experts were saying after the revelation about the NSA hacking tools, uh, because some of them were uh, were showing, like taking advantage of explo- uh, vulnerabilities in Cisco hardware, for instance, or other network uh, networking equipment that experts had known about. And when the underlying infrastructure is being hacked, uh, it's hard to really figure out where you can be secure. Or like, you know, Leslie Jones uh, mm-hmm. and her I- iCloud account being hacked. Like, you know, iCloud, Apple is you know taking that strong stance in the San Bernardini case and talked about privacy, but yet at the same time been involved in several high profile yeah. incidences where its users have had really sensitive information uh, hacked and revealed, right? So how secure do you really feel using Apple products? I would never post my photos on iCloud if I had any that I was concerned about. And yet, you know, it's becoming more and more common for these photo apps to automatically upload your photos into the cloud. And you can really envision a lot of users either not knowing that what that setting really means mm-hmm. or that setting being turned on by default and just having all your photos being put into this uh, unsecure location. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, I make a big deal about not using iCloud, but there's Google Photos and there are, there's the automatic uploading, like you're saying. There's Facebook with their wonky permissions. You think you're setting it to some some permission, and you know that's a little bit buggy too. So sometimes things are visible when they shouldn't be. I've noticed that as well. And yeah, that's a good point. Dominique or Dom is really good at figuring out not only that Angela is into older dudes, which I was thinking that too at the bar. I was like, Angela doesn't seem to like people her own age to date. She feels. Um, bored by them, I guess. Well, after her breakup with the guy her own age, which I gather she'd been with for a while, maybe it's the safest way for her to, uh, I guess, be single and not really worry too much about long-term commitment. Yeah, yeah. And we do get to see some scenes with Snowden, which I thought was pretty cool. Darlene, of course, had the perfect opportunity to hack Cisco. I don't know why he was so naive to leave his stuff all out there but he paid for it in the end didn't he yeah i mean again it's like one of those things where you have to wonder is it you know is it saying something about the characters or is it sloppy writing or lazy writing that this world-class hacker would somehow uh leave his laptop vulnerable to his world-class hacker girlfriend when he's plotting against her yeah, I thought it was pretty sloppy because then it just made it so easy for Darlene to realize that the Dark Army is getting ready for stage two. She gets a little proactive there with a baseball bat and probably beats the crap out of him, if not more, right? Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether he disappears and adds to the body count total or if 
we see some sort of torture scenario being played out. No Elliot this episode, no Mr. Robot this episode. I still really quite enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to, to how things unfold. How about you? Yeah, I mean, we see the setup here. I think we're being made to care about Darlene, so it'll be interesting to see if that Game of Thrones mechanic that you identified earlier comes to pass, and in some way she gets involved with the season cliffhanger where her fate hangs in the balance. Um, and uh, I, th- I can see other things kind of being set up, like the e-coin um, and Dom with the FBI. And so we see all these pieces having been built up, and I see, really imagine these next few episodes in the season uh, two to really uh, build those things through crescendo. Me too. And I want to thank you, Henry, and all the listeners who uh, subscribe and rate and review us on the fabulous iTunes, which I'm sure has no back doors for the NSA. In fact, I mean, they've been taking more of a leadership position in that than other companies, I think. Uh, Tim Cook has really spoken out against that. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, a bunch of other places. So thanks, Henry. I really enjoyed talking about Successor with you. Yeah, do you think we're on the NSA's internal intranet? That might be a distribution platform we're not on. (laughs) I'm sure we will be pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Things to aim for. All right, I'll talk to you later, Margaret. Bye, Henry. Take care. Bye, everybody.